Thank you for being with us today and making the choice to be inspired. You are listening in to Women We Watch in Tourism podcast series, where we bring in women thought leaders and change makers from across the world. In this platform, we discuss women leaders' professional and entrepreneurial journeys on becoming more visible, breaking glass ceilings, and transforming organizations and communities. This is the first platform that provides a space for women in the tourism industry to leverage collective wisdom, experiences, and inspiration from women powerhouses. I'm Nisha, founder of World Women Tourism, and with me, my co-host Zeno Doshi, founder of Flap Alive. We are grateful and inspired by all the remarkable women we have connected with and interviewed in season one and two. We look forward to another season, season three, where we focus on minority women and women of color. These women are shaping a new narrative daily and they demonstrate that anything is possible with grit, tenacity, authenticity, and purpose. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget to share our conversations with your friends on Instagram or LinkedIn to inspire and empower. Conscious leadership is critical when navigating tough times and challenges in the leadership journey. A high level of self-awareness, level-headedness, being intentional and compassionate are important traits to transform organizations and communities. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with one of the top 50 global inspirational women to look up for in 2022, one who wins the hearts of many through her conscious leadership, Sumaira Isaacs. Sumaira is the CEO of World Tourism Forum Institute. As a destination expert and influencer with over 25 years experience, Sumaira brings immense international knowledge and the art of international insights and best practices on how to establish and grow a destination within the tourism industry. She has been fortunate to have worked along with several tourist boards, associations, and local governments in Africa, Middle East, India, and North America. Her expertise and body of work over the years comprises of tourism and destination strategy development and action planning, supporting some of the most prolific winning tourism destinations such as Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, India, Malaysia, Singapore, and most recently, South Africa and Pakistan, to name just a few. Currently, Sumaira serves as CEO of World Tourism Forum Institute, which is an international institute based in London, UK. As a tourism think tank, the organization's focus is on reshaping economies through tourism. Sumaira was recently recognized as the top 50 global inspirational women to look up for in 2022 by the Titanium magazine. So let me introduce you to my very dear industry partner and friend, Sumaira Isaacs. 
thank you so much for coming on board our podcast series, Women We Watch in Tourism. I have kept this episode one of season three to have you on board to start the season. So how are you doing, Samara? Nisha, what an honor to be with you again. You know how much I admire you and the work that you do. Uh, I'm well, thank you very much. I'm uh, right now in Dubai and uh, really, really uh, it's heartening to see how this destination has opened itself and is embracing the world in this uh, post-COVID era where we've just gone through an amazing expo, um, you know, with 22 million visitors. So it's been an incredible last three months here. Absolutely. Very hectic, but very fulfilling. Dubai is like at the, at the center of tourism activity at the moment. So Samira, tell me, you know, you, you have traveled to more than over 150 of our cities in the world and worked with some of the most glamorous uh, countries and cities in the world. So the last 24 months must have been really difficult for you, you know, as a jet setter. So what did you miss most about travel since the, the world went into a lockdown? I think the face-to-face contact and the, the the ability to spar with people, you know, looking into their eyes and uh, and brainstorming. Because for me, the best ideas—that's just me personally. You know, I'm uh, the best ideas emerge when I'm I'm uh, uh, brainstorming with uh, with colleagues in a small uh, group. And that's the past uh, part I really miss. I really truly miss sitting across and and discussing uh, problems and coming up with solutions that um, uh, you know make sense yeah and and i i remember you know after more than two and a half years or even three years i saw you in dubai in january this year and our connection started again and ignited our enthusiasm and one or two of the collaborations started when we were facing each other in in your living room isn't it Yes, and and uh, how how the past few months melted away the difficult period the time that we didn't meet just melted away went away and and uh, that's uh, the spark the human spirit creates when you sit across from another person you know absolutely absolutely now Samara I just want to know a little bit about you first before we go into the professional dimension I read somewhere that you call yourself first an artist and then a serial entrepreneur so share with us you know what what is your this first love and your passion with art all about Art is something that I think I was a, it was a gift uh, that both myself and my twin sister we were born with, mm-hmm. and uh, we were very fortunate that our parents nurtured it. But I never really had a formal training uh, in it. It's something that I developed myself. I started teaching art privately, mm-hmm. and that really developed uh, the artist in me. I'm actually. Um, a professional artist. I've owned an art gallery as well, and I've ex- oh, wow. exhibited all, all around. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, uh, the better half of me, you can say, <laughs> because I think that creativity then comes into everything that else that I do. It seeps into, uh, you know, you have to be creative. And uh, as a woman leader, when you are building teams, which is what I love doing and being an entrepreneur, you know, I love uh, the, the process of um, taking it, um, uh, giving life to an idea. You know, I love the process of a startup, uh, you know, and the, the fire that comes with, and the passion that comes when you are starting 
a new organization or, um, you know, or transforming an existing organization. Mm. So all of that requires creative thinking, you know, and and I think being an artist helps me to navigate through very, very difficult nooks and crannies, uh, you know, and come up with ideas and solutions, which otherwise uh, would evade you, you know. Yeah, I, I witnessed some of your most beautiful pieces, you know, whether on LinkedIn or, you know, you have shared or you, I've seen that in your house as well. And it's Thank so you. gorgeous, so gorgeous. Yeah. Thank so you. so this engagement with art, does that provide you that time of respite from your busyness? It is an escape. Absolutely. You know, because uh, the, it uh, it's a big uh, decompressor and it, um, uh, and it de-stresses you a little bit as well, because when I am, it's very immersive activity. Art is very immersive. So when when I'm painting, I'm totally immersed in that process. That uh, pauses everything else, work related, and that that's a respite. It's like people going to gym, yeah. you know. And for me, it's going uh, standing in front of my canvas, you know, and uh, it's a very very important break. Absolutely. And that gives kind of like a work-life balance, right? And keep completely, completely, completely. I want to ask a little bit about your involvement with WTFI. You know, I've seen so many things that WTFI has been doing recently. You know, I followed a lot of that on LinkedIn. So you and WTF have been leading and steering tourism development in a very critical period of disruption in our industry. So, you know, has the focus or your priorities changed over the last two years? And and what are some of the challenges that you are facing right now in the age of disruption? So when I joined them, um, I actually started working with them uh, on and off in 2019, in the beginning of 2019. But then when I was formally on board in the beginning of January 2020, COVID happened. Mm. And it was a big shock for us because all of our conferences started getting cancelled one after another, annual meetings in different parts of the world, Ethiopia and Pakistan and and, uh, so forth. And um, that was a big shock. Uh, it was a do and die moment that, uh, that, that what do we do, you know, because, and I then decided to transform the organization from a very conference-based organization into a travel and tourism think tank, because all of the resources that uh, the teams uh, were already in place, the, the, the research teams, the content uh, uh, creators, um, the design teams, the communication teams, the marketing team, Everybody was already there. So rather than starting to lay off people, I decided that we need to transform ourselves and reinvent ourselves. So that process of transformation, that process of regeneration, uh, you know, uh, it um, prepared us for a post-COVID era. And very quickly, very fast, within a span of uh, three weeks to uh, three months, uh, uh, you know, we went from being a conference-based organization into a fully-fledged think tank, mm. and it also um, uh, 
I uh, decided that I need to keep the organization relevant. So I came up with this idea um, of having these town halls and um, which were these uh, Zoom one-on-one interviews with the industry and and keeping the industry engaged and giving back to the industry and keeping yourself relevant at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that really, really worked. And at that time, we were not familiar with the term of so much, the, you know, of hybrid and virtual and all of that. We just did it out of necessity. And then lo and behold, a few months down the line, that became the norm. Mm. And uh, we didn't know that we were preparing ourselves for, a, uh, for the long haul, for a norm that's uh, there to stay for at least a couple of years. Mm. And, um, and we learned through that process, we delivered six hybrid meetings during that, uh, that period, difficult period. And um, I think in the post-COVID era, uh, we just delivered our first big face-to-face meeting in uh, in Dubai, which was the was the blo- uh, blockchain for travel. Yes. We launched the very first uh, tra- uh, crypto travel um, uh, coin, and uh, what I learned through that uh, that process was that whilst virtual um, uh, face-to-face is important. Uh, the the virtual component uh, is here to stay and we must hold on to it. So whilst our meeting on the ground was just 200 people, our hybrid um, virtual component uh, viewership was um, about nearly 25 to 30,000. So so we don't want to let go of that. We want to hold on to it. Right. And and talking about that that forum, you know, where you touched on blockchain, I think it's so cutting edge, you know, and I've not seen that many forums or conferences touching on blockchain and the travel and tourism industry. Can you tell me, Samara, some of the one or two brilliant learnings that you picked up in that forum? So, Nisha, again, this was done out of necessity. Okay, it was a trend which was happening and it's been touching already blockchain and crypto um, uh, trend is here and it's touching all of the industries, every um, uh, from financial to oil and gas to mobility. It's everywhere now. Absolutely. Our travel and tourism industry has been slow to take it on. Yes. You know, we we are technically not that savvy uh, an industry. We are we are a little bit behind from uh, with the re- when compared to rest of the other industries. And I just felt because I've been speaking at a lot of these um, tech uh, shows, like um, um, they they've been a couple of them in Canada as well. And blockchain was already there two years ago. And I was wondering that when it's going to come uh, mainstream in travel and tourism. And we, that's why we, we decided that we, as leaders, we cannot be standing on the periphery and watch this trend, good or bad. We don't know if it's good or bad trend, but we cannot watch on the sidelines for the trend to uh, wait for it to unfold. You know, we have, as leaders, have to create a dialogue around it. We have to have a conversation around it. And uh, we need to explore how we can harness its power, uh, you know, for the betterment of the industry, for the growth of the industry, because the, the, the generation Alpha and Gen X and Z, and they all are embracing it. It's uh, For them, it's here to stay. 
so uh, henceforth, we got an opportunity to partner with Ariva Digital, which um, uh, is the cryptocurrency uh, for travel and tourism. The, the, it was just launched in UK in October last year. And we decided that we will bring them, help them connect to the industry and bring them mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a huge success. Right. There was so much, discuss- um, you know, we brought in leaders from all around the world in, in, who are specializing in this. And we brought in leaders from our industry. We had, And the most important thing we did was we brought in uh, members of European Parliament, sitting MAPs, mm-hmm. uh, about four of them. And uh, and so they, it was a very robust discussion between governments uh, um, and policymakers and uh, the crypto guys. And like they say, crypto waits for no one. It moves really fast. And our industry. So it was a triangular conversation that was held and it was welcomed by all. Yeah. And I really love some of the insights. I watched some of the videos on your website and I think, you know, we've got to be really, really, uh, and, you know, we got to anticipate how blockchain is going to impact and influence our industry quite a big time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you will be surprised uh, that how behind we are. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up approaching some of the hotel groups, the big mega, you know, we've got three, four, five uh, uh, global brands, uh, hotel groups, you know, I, I don't want to take the names here. And I was shocked because they were not prepared to talk about uh, crypto because they, they they have yet to have a policy around it, mm-hmm. you know, they, and uh, so we, we then compromise with them we said okay come and speak but uh, you know speak on digital uh, currencies but they uh, you know or di- digital wallets and we had to to get creative of uh, how we p- put the subject matter across because these organizations don't have a policy yet on it mm-hmm. uh, so so that's how uh, how far behind we as an industry are we are lagging if you don't have the big mega hotel groups who don't have a policy then, uh, you know, what will the smaller players do? But what we've done with Ariva is as a follow-up to the meeting, we've actually gone around and we've uh, uh, spoken to a few new independent hotel chains and they are much more nimbler and faster and eager to embrace this trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to do some partnerships with them and, in, in you know, to, ta- to, to just test, to do even to run some pilots that uh, if uh, this even works, you know, and uh, so that that I think that experimentation and exploration is very very critical. Wow. And then there's another angle to it. It's this whole metaverse thing. Mm. So in Ariva, you have uh, the something called Ariva Wonderland, and there they are creating a whole metaverse. It's already been launched. And um, to give you an example, we, for example, we want Dubai, and I don't know if it will be Dubai, although they have put up their hands on it, uh, you know, it has to be the first destination that will have its own creator in there. So once Dubai signs up, then you can have all the other smaller companies coming in and buying land in that metaverse, mm. you know. So our annual meeting is happening in Indonesia this year next to G20 mm-hmm. and there we are actually going to be launching 
launching uh, a small expo, which will be a metaverse for the G20 countries nice. on yeah. the ground. Right. You know, so that people start engaging and start talking about the, uh, this technology, about uh, this trend. Uh, and uh, make it more mainstream so that, uh, you know, it's like when internet came, there were a lot of skeptics, you know, the, uh, it was slow to take off initially. Yeah. But then once everybody got the hang of it, the language of it, uh, then it, it boomerang from there. So yeah. I think that's the stage we are at. Yeah. And, and you were in the midst of some of the most amazing futurists at that forum. And also, and, and I watched your, you know, you hosted the Recovery is Soon Town Hall series and brilliant minds were on your show. And thank you for bringing them on board and, um, you know, allowing us to listen to their insights. So tell me, you know, Samira, you were next to some of the really, really fantastic leaders. Can you share with me one or two very important takeaways for you when you listen to them in your recovery town hall series you know if i go back and replay some of those mm. and uh, what uh, came across to me that during that covid period they were as clueless as as me on what was going on mm. that was a sad part of it because none of those predictions uh, um, you know uh, nisha none of those came through because if I was talking to anybody, okay, when this is going to get over and they were saying, oh, it's going to get over in two months time or three months time. And next year is going to be normal. Mm -hmm. Nobody forecasted. Nobody was able to see that, that, that uh, at that point that COVID uh, is here to stay. Mm -hmm. And, and that was a scary part of it. But the, the, what did strike me was the, um, there was a togetherness, there was a oneness, and there was a willingness to overcome this together, you know. And what um, uh, became quite apparent that no one government could do it alone. Mm -hmm. So everybody was in it together, although the openings and reopenings were uneven, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and but they were defined by individual governments and all of that. But uh, it was clear that if, uh, um, uh, you know, Singapore uh, starts sneezing, the rest of Asia will catch a cold. Oops. Or, uh, you know, if Dubai has a cough, that means it will uh, <laughs> have an effect everywhere else as well. Right. So I think that that realization also showed uh, uh, that how vulnerable we are as a human race, you know, and we are all, we have the symbiotic connection. Yes. Uh, as human race, uh, that uh, you know, uh, that that's here, and we have to recognize that, and we have to celebrate it in some in some ways, you know. Mm -hmm. So th that's why what's happening right now, right after COVID, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping onto another geopolitical challenge that we have, and our industry is facing right now, mm -hmm. will be impacted by it. Is the the Ukraine war? Absolutely. So it seems so futile after what we as a human race have lived through, you know, and seen up front, each one of us have experienced it, uh, you know, in our personal lives, in our businesses, uh, on, on individual level, on governmental levels, on country levels, regional levels. And to see this war raging right now seems so futile mm. and so misplaced. You know, that instead of bringing us together, 
we are seeing the horrors of something that our grandparents and great grandparents uh, lived through, but not our children, not the generation Z and Y and X. They don't understand this. They don't understand why this is even happening because uh, they're thinking all this technology, all this money that is being spent on on this, why it cannot be used for the betterment of the human race. So many lessons that... Uh, we have learned in the last 24 months, and I'm just hoping that our industry gets wiser, you know, as we crawl out of this um, pandemic. Um, Samira, I I want to move on to um, understanding more about you as a women leader, right? Um, There's a hot topic that I am very interested to know more about, which is becoming intentionally visible. Right. A lot of studies have shown that relatively few female global senior executives have the desire and aspiration to lead large companies and become CEOs or COOs. It's not in their wish list. They tend to select themselves out of the career track and become intentionally invisible. Now, you have been the COO of MCI Group. You are currently the CEO of WTFI, and I'm sure you have faced some of your own share responsibilities as a wife, as a mother, and now a grandmother, right? Nobody will believe that when I see <laughs> looking at you. But you, you also have the challenge of being vocal and assertive or strong in some of the countries where the culture does not support these traits in a woman. So share with me, please, you know, what are some of your your challenges and what advice would you give to women who want to break these barriers and boundaries to become more visible? You you know, Nisha, when I started working, I started working at the age of 16. Okay. And and then, um, uh, but in my, uh, when I really, really in earnest, the started to join the, and come back into the industry because in between there was a bit of a break. I got married. I started having kids and all of that. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, internet had come. I had no idea. It used to be that big black box with green letterings on it. And that what the hell is this? The world had changed in those seven, eight years that I was busy being a mom. And uh, what, what I had learned at that time, and I'm talking about in 1992-93 during that time uh, that uh, you know while the world had moved on the women's role was was still where it was 15-20 years ago back Mm -hmm. so it had not evolved Um, um, you know and I took on on work Working with, with travel agencies, at, at one point I was doing two, three jobs just to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband and I, um, with three kids in tow, you know, in Dubai. And what I remember, my earliest memories are that I it was not uh, at all, um, uh, you know, when I was working, I wouldn't even tell people that I had children mm. because I didn't want them to judge me and think that I am weak and I'm not employable. Right. So that that really, really left a very, very deep scar, I think, um, inside me, a big, deep gash. And I 
wanted to change that. And what I also learned that whilst it's very good to be a leader, so I got many opportunities to do that. I became a manager. I became a director. Uh, you know, I grew and grew leaps and bounds uh, in, in what I did because um, I, I was very focused, very sharp that I need to be somewhere where I can be a change maker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whilst we can create an impact, we can touch other people's life, we, we can transform them and all. But to be a real change maker, mm-hmm. you do need to be visible and highly visible. Mm-hmm. You need to be on the cover of magazines. You need to be um, on podcasts and, and uh, uh, on interviews. You need to be seen and heard. And uh, the, you have to be a CEO or a COO to drive real change. Absolutely. Real change, you know, that is um, that um, actually touches generations, mm. you know, and uh, and that can only happen if you take on the difficult role, you know, and it's not easy to be a COO. It's not, be, I, you and I were just having a discussion before the podcast, right. and uh, it's not easy to be a CEO. It can get very tactical. It can get very demanding on your time, but you have to take these on because that's where you can make the maximum in- impact, mm. the most impact, and you you can bring about change. You can take other women with you, you know, within your organization, in your uh, ecosystem, in your community. It gives you certain power. Mm-hmm. It's just like being a world leader. You know, why do these um, uh, these presidents or prime ministers of the uh, countries, these leaders matter? Mm-hmm. Because they have the power to make a difference. Mm-hmm. They have if they have the political will, they can make the right choices for their people. Mm-hmm. So I think that a CEO role is very similar to that. I see that a very political role, you know, and um, and in there you can really make huge differences, huge strides, but you can also make huge mistakes as well. So Myra, you know, being a woman of an Asian origin, I mean, what challenges did you face even in in a country like, you know, Pakistan, where you were, you know, looking at tourism development and I've seen you in pictures of the only women, you know, amongst men. What, What were some of the challenges that you faced as an Asian woman of origin? So most of my professional life I've spent in Dubai. And, and and in Canada with small stints in Pakistan, in Africa, in these countries and all of that. So, of course, you change your tone. You have to change your mannerism. You have to, in Pakistan, you have to tone it down. It's the way you dress up uh, also makes a difference, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have to change your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, yes. and it's um, you may tone yourself. You may be a little bit soft on people, but you remain hard on issues. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so so I think that's the difference that I had to apply there. I um, uh, I had a lot of discrimination against myself. Right. Actually, being an Asian woman by other women. Okay, this surprises not so much from men. Mm, okay, but I have had discrimination against myself by other women 
um, you know, uh, who are primarily uh, uh, Caucasians, okay, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. whereby they question that why I've even been brought on the board, why do I have even mm-hmm. a seat, I like, I, do I even have an intel? Uh, Interesting <laughs> face to Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Right. And it's brought me down to tears. Really? And actually, it's, in my case, it's been my male colleagues who have jumped to my support and uh, they were by my side. But it, look, being a woman is a hard job. Mm. Okay. Mm. Being an Asian woman can be a ha- harder job and being a Muslim woman leader can even be a more harder job. Mm. Okay. Mm. But if we, they, to me, they're just bumps on the street to be overcome. Mm. We can't, I, I have, I'm so sorry, Nisha, but I have no patience mm. for, for laziness and I have no patience for women who make this, um, make it part of your agenda being a woman. But don't make it a, a part of your agenda to get back at men mm. and make that as an excuse mm. not to pick yourself up. Mm. So that's the part I have no patience for. Mm. So I think, uh, 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 you know, discrimination is there. It's, um, uh, it's, it's everywhere in one form or another. Yeah. You know, just deal with it and move on. Deal with it, move on, you know. But don't let it get to you to a um, level where by you think don't let that define you yes yes as simple as that and and i think you know and i first of all let me just congratulate you first before i talk about this congratulations for being recognized as the top 50 global inspirational women to look out for in 2020 hats off to you samira really i I mean so much in in admiration for the work that you have done that you deserve the team it's we all do it together you know but somebody's got to stand there and then receive the, the awards so yeah. but it's always a team it's always your family everybody together you know yes and and, and you know you, you you are full of great determination and so much of pride in, in the women that you are you know so what is that one tool that you always carry with you no matter what project that you're working on it could be a skill a perspective an attitude uh, uh for, for me it's um, that the glass is always half full mm-hmm. you know and um, that uh, you have to be positive you have to have, you know they uh, you cannot be in the negative zone right so always try to find some positiveness mm-hmm. in what's going on in the most negative of situations because we are all hit by negative uh, you know, we are all dealt with a negative hand constantly, right. constantly. And I think it's not just us, even the men or in any business it happens or in any relationship for that matter. So it's just trying to look for those positives, you know, and keep your center, you know, don't forget who you are. And that's uh, that's what's kept me going. I don't know. I've just literally I've not gone looking for opportunities and all of that but if something comes your way just I've had that innate ability to see when the even when it's the smallest of spark that you can really turn that into something yeah so I carry that with me everywhere I go and everything I do I think comes through 
And I've seen that in you, you know, you radiate positivity and enthusiasm when we speak, you know, regardless of how much you have on your hands, but it's always like, yes, Nisha, we can do it. You know, when I spoke to you in Dubai, I said, Samara, you're so busy. I don't know whether to even ask you. <laughs> and you said, no, well, you know, let me know. But you're always so positive to grabbing any opportunities. But regardless of that, I want to ask you this, you know, I'm sure you had your own fair share of other challenges, even in your personal life, you know, but was there a pivotal point in your life when you had to make a very hard decision that altered your life direction? You know, uh, I looked at this question because I know, thank you for sharing those in it, Mom. <laughs> and, and I was like, uh, what shall I talk about here? Because there are so many that we have, you know, uh, the life is full of curveballs, right? They come your way. And, uh, and for me, it was unfortunately not work-wise, but it was on my personal level. Uh, it was in 2019. I was so busy in Pakistan. I, uh, I was on a crest because I was uh, forming the Prime Minister's Task Force for Tourism there. Mm -hmm. And I was busy writing Pakistan's 10-year tourism strategy. Uh, you know, it was very inspiring time to be working with the Prime Minister Imran Khan at, at that point based out of his sectarian. So like I was on cloud nine. Mm -hmm. Everything crumpled around me with one phone call from my son uh, telling me that my grandson uh, was um, diagnosed with autism. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like everything crumpled around me, everything, because I mean, this was my, I'm very attached to him. I was there when he was born and he's very attached. Very difficult. And, it, yeah. Yeah. and uh, it just made us feel so helpless. It was, it changed the, the course and the direction of our family. Mm. And, uh, but in retrospect, uh, you know, we as a family gained a lot. He made us open our eyes to this, uh, uh, whatever, I don't want to even call it a disease. It isn't a disease, it's a condition. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, suddenly, I, you, you have a different lens to life. You're right. Mm -hmm. It changes your perspective on everything that you do. And I think it changes it for the better. Uh, so he's our golden boy and I consider ourselves a golden family now, mm. you know, uh, that we are blessed uh, because he's opened our eyes to this. And uh, yeah, so for, for us uh, or for myself, that was the most, one of the most defining moments, you know, that where do you go? It's all of the positiveness that um, I'm talking about was put to test and um, it was keeping the family together. It's making some very, very difficult decisions for our family, relocations, everything around this boy, that how we could support him to move forward in his life the best right. that uh, we could. And so, being such a strong woman, you must have been the pillar for everybody to hold on to during this difficult period of realization. Yeah, but you know what happened, Nisha? Inside, I was just crumpling. I was gone. Mm. I didn't even know if I'm I'm there anymore, you know, inside. But I had to put, it took a real toll on me mm. because I had to really put up the space for, for the rest of the family, for my son, for my beautiful daughter-in-law, 
for all of us, you know, that we will overcome this. This we will, but you overcome something like this, but it is here to stay, right? He's not, uh, autism is not something that just goes away. Right. So you have to keep chip, uh, chip away at it. And it's also about learning and informing. So any situation like this, my key learning out of this was that, uh, you know, I'm sure there are many, many in our industry who face such challenges, you know, is to inform yourself, to learn more about it, to read about it, to, uh, and, and then to embrace it. Right. you know uh, and uh, and embrace it without any conditions right and yeah. thank you for for sharing such a vulnerable moment in your life because i think this is a, a really nice insight and eye opener for to many people who are listening and because you know they look at samara oh my god she's so gorgeous you know and she's leading uh, such a, a renowned organization and she's recognized with his uh, accolades and awards and, and but behind this is as a very vulnerable woman who face ordinary uh, challenges and problems, but you're so extraordinary in the way that you rise above all these, isn't it? You, it's the choices you make, right? Mm. It's, well, what choice do you have? Are you, you, there are only two ways. It's upward or downward. You're right. You know, so um, you, you just have to pick yourself up and uh, keep going. Uh, that, that's uh, what it is. And, and to be honest, three years down the line, in retrospect, it wasn't the end of the world. Mm. But at that moment, it was mm. for us. Mm. You know, we thought we can't function anymore as a family. But how wrong we were, how totally wrong we were. And, uh, you know, and uh, they... Uh, yeah, yeah, I just learned that how special these people are. And, and I, you know, and before this, anything to do with special needs or something, you know, or you're driving past a special needs center or something, you look, look, glaze over, mm-hmm. you know, you, you look past and people on wheelchairs, you look past because it's not your problem, right? It's not your headache. It's not you, so you the who has to push a wheelchair or there's a, or lead an autistic child onto a flight or something. It's not your headache. And, and you want to distance yourself from all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you face it yourself, it's a very different ball game altogether. Mm-hmm. Different, absolutely. And this is the reason why we watch you in tourism, Samira. <laughs> and we wanted you to be on this show. But let me ask you something. As much as you know, many of us watch you for our inspiration, um, share with me who is the one woman that you watch. Oh my God, Nisha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many. It's, um, I watch you. I watch Anita. You know, all, there are so many of us who are doing such great work, and and you can't just say one woman, right? And there's uh, uh, Natalia in UNWTO who's doing great work for entrepreneurship. There's, um, you know, my sister, my twin sister, Saira, you know her well. And, um, they, you know, we all learn from one another. Mm. No, I, I, I think it's very hard to sum that and say one. But what is the one quality that you admire in fellow women? I, I think the, the ability to get on with things. Mm. You know, in spite of, we know our challenges, Anit, uh, Nisha, that, like we have, 
uh, work-life balance, how we, we navigate through that. Mm. And women who are able to do that successfully, I really admire them. Mm. I really do. I salute those women who, nice. who, who are able to have that balance, you know. And, and um, there, there are many single women who, who are thriving and doing well, uh, you know, in businesses. But to have a family behind, to have your children and your husbands and, and, and to also be a homemaker and, and to then succeed in your corporate life as well. Uh, I think when I see that in other women, I really, really salute them because I know the challenges mm. at hand, but I also know that what joy that brings as well, that balance, you know. Mm. Mm. And I, I, I've seen your mom. I love her, you know, for her, and she's brilliant. And, uh, you know, I love her. I haven't said my mom <laughs> because my, 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 my mother is the the opposite of everything that Saira and myself represent, but she has this innate, crazy sense of humor <laughs> that uh, I think we have inherited from her. And, uh, and she is very, very strong in her own way. I'm afraid to say that I'm like her because I'm, I'm scared of her and I don't want to be like, uh, like her, but I am like her, you know, <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sumaira. You know, we 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 can spend hours just speaking, and the audience here only have less than an hour with you. But we have spoken so much. So, at the end of today's podcast, I would like you to share one takeaway that you want listeners to get from this episode. What would that be? Connect. Mm-hmm. I think connect, connect, connect. It's so. Uh, important to make time for these activities so important to speak so important to be out there you know and and be visible that's really important and i thank you so much for this opportunity uh, because it, it makes you pause and also take account of where your life is at that moment so mm-hmm. the, the, the these sort of podcasts are so important because it's also a time for self-reflection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. I totally, totally agree with you. It's sometimes a journey within ourselves that we go into whenever we are in such podcasts. And you mentioned this thing about connect, you know, and, and I totally agree about the power of proximity, the importance of being uh, to network. And, and both our networking has gone into so many collaborations, you know, that I'm so yeah. happy. I'm so happy that I got to know you. And, and me too. how Same. can listeners get to know you, um, Samara? How can they connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn. They I put an open LinkedIn. Anybody can write to me there. I think that's the best way to do that. Thank you so much, my dear Samara, for honoring me and our podcast and being here with us on this show. It's such a pleasure, as always, listening to you. Thank you, Nisha. Such a pleasure to be with you. Dear listeners, thank you for being with us on this episode. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with another very inspiring women leader in tourism. If our episodes inspired you, please subscribe to us and leave us a review. We will appreciate your feedback and suggestions to further improve our podcasts. Please share this episode with other women who want to be uplifted. I'm Nisha, your host signing off from Women We Watch in Tourism podcast. Tune in to our next episode 
as we showcase another very dynamic personality and powerhouse in our industry. Till then, goodbye.